Suga, 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 Suga. What is up, y'all? It is the Four Mandalore podcast. We are back again. It's only been a couple days, right? Yep. I yep. am so happy to be here with my main man, T Bob Abear. We're breaking down all things The Mandalorian on Disney Plus. Everything in the episode that we find. We're going to try to break down to you. Let's go, T-Bob. How you feeling? Uh, I'm feeling good. Um, I don't know if you introduced yourself in that. You are Nick Ashton, for those wondering. Uh, drumline extraordinaire, Star Wars nerd, and uh, off-the-bench intern superstar. Um, so we are back soon because it is... These, so these episodes are coming out on Friday from yes. here on out, yes. right? First episode was just for the launch. And me and Nick had a very interesting morning where we got done with the morning show, and you're good, you're, it's good. And we got done with the morning show, and then um, we have a, we have another radio show that we're about to go do. But in between, we snuck over to my house, watched episode two, and so this is an instant reaction pod. We just watched it together, and we're about what, like twenty minutes away, from hot and fresh out the kitchen, straight up. Um, is that R. Kelly? Yes. Uh, mm. Oh wait, no, no, we can't say that. Anymore. Yeah, I was about to say. All, all, unfortunately, as someone who really had some incredible times with Remix to Ignition, I think we have to. Uh, I think we have to let it die. I just think that the best thing to come out of that was the meme where it's like has the spicy McChicken, and it, it says, you know, you can fill in the blanks with that Remix to McChicken. It, it's it's the. It's the remix to Ignition, Hot and Spicy McChicken. <laughs> okay. It's kind of like the way the lyrics go. Uh, a lot of times the best thing to come out of anything are the memes. In fact, a lot of Mandalorian memes have been really good. But that's not yes. what we're here to talk about. We are here to react to episode two. Nick, what do you think? You know, man, I, I really thought this was a nice, I guess antithesis might be a bit of a stretch, but a, a nice juxtapose episode from episode one where you get you know total badass total awesome dude total guy who's like in charge of everything and then now you get to see him vulnerable yeah you i know, guess it's true i didn't really think about that you really uh put the dichotomy of episode one and two in your mind just think about it yeah think about when you're introduced to the mandalorian the first thing you ever get to see about him is he chops a dude in half with a door. Takes out three toughs like it was nothing. And, I mean, these guys look like total brutes, man. And I mean, and, they're talking about literally cutting the glands out of that poor blue mithril. <laughs> like, they're talking about cutting out his glands. Exactly. And, and the Mandalorian makes them seem like they're junior high boys. And now you juxtapose that with he's getting, like, owned for the second half of the episode. I mean, think, like, when you take into account what the directors, I believe, were trying to achieve with episodes one and two, I think they did it very effectively. I agree, and that's something that's funny because we were just kind of right, you know, right before the show, a couple minutes. What do we want to mention? I hadn't even considered that, and now that my brain's chewing through that, it is so effective because when you know the Mandalorian history, like we do, and like you've explained on this show, episode zero, if you missed it, um, it these these are almost infallible warriors it could seem like right like it's almost like no matter what happens just count on the mandalorian to win and yet in this episode uh he had kind of given himself up for death like he he literally gets defeated really Almost a couple of times, uh, and, and and it even starts a bit differently because the first fight scene, he's still the Mandalorian that we saw last episode right. with the Trandoshans. But before we get there, um, and 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 to your point, it avoids like it avoids making him that. I hate this term because I think people have used it to criticize Ray a lot, and I don't agree with it. And I could like 
go on and on about it, but, but it avoids the Mary Sue problem where they're yep. just like, right, where they're just unbeatable out the gate mm-hmm. no matter what. It now makes you know that, okay, he's not a superhero like he can be beat. I, I was really a fan of that. And personally, I think getting that out of the way this early in the series, I think humanizes him yep. in a way. And I think it makes him much more of a relatable character. So we'll see going forward. His achievements and his shortcomings are going to mean a lot more to us because of what we saw in this episode. So, um, let's start where the episode starts, and that is with an unreal, adorable, tiny, little baby Yoda. And and, and look, we recognize that is not Yoda, at least. I wouldn't imagine that's Yoda, uh, but that will be... Are you cool with that being the shorthand that we use for yeah, it? Yeah, because I think that's going to be the most commonplace accepted term when you're listening to either other podcasts or people talking about it on the street. That's what they're going to say. And I... I I dare you to find me more adorable content it's crazy, that's dude. been released I mean, in the Star Wars universe. You could argue Porgs, you could argue Ewoks, but you'd be wrong. I'm going to say, if, if you <laughs> But if you'd be arguing, wrong. Ewoks actually creep me out, okay? Um, Ewoks are murderous. Ewoks came across uh, sentient humanoids, you know, obviously sentient beings, and what were they going to do to Han and, and Luke and Leia and all them? Like barbecue, they were going to eat him. Like they were going to barbecue them. These, have things, a cookout. these things can clearly talk and emote, and you're on a similar level of intelligence. And their first instinct was, "Oh, we got to cook these things up, man!" Like you would not go. Yeah, no. So, so Ewoks. Uh, like I was saying, you'd be wrong. Out. You'd be wrong. Um, then again, you know what? I bet you humans used to just like slam some like orangutans back in the day or something okay whatever the the, the gotta uh, eat where where were we going with this oh oh a more adorable yes you yes. you will not find more adorable than baby yoda his big eyes his <sighs> big ears that little baby face it's funny we got to you almost have to remind yourself that he is 50 years old at this right, point right. But, uh, and then and then it's practical effects which obviously <laughs> if you heard the other episode you know I'm a huge fan of Nick's huge fan of when you see him in his little robes and he looks like a little kid like like christmas story with like too many sweaters on i just oh my god dude i can't i can't stop smiling cuz you could make like the argument about, you know, cartoon character babies being really cute, but when you see it in the practical effects vein, like you just mentioned, I, I think it just adds another dimension to it and makes it way more like, oh my god. Like- so, we're going to talk about music today, uh, because as a musician, I, you have fascinating insights into it. Um, but but one of the things is like we, that, that I was kind of mentioning to you is, well, I don't always understand the technicality of everything that you're explaining to me at times, uh, instinctively, I I feel it, right? And I think, and this is the last thing I'll say on practical effects, because I've said it all the time, your brain, I believe, subconsciously, instinctively uh, accepts yes. puppets and, and things like that. And now I like when sometimes they are enhanced by CG. I mean, we see Baby Yoda eat an entire frog, and, and, and I believe that obviously had a computer element and so it can work, but uh, but yeah. So B- Baby Yoda is like, it's crazy that we spent the first five minutes of this pod just talking about how cute this little green alien is. But he is. You can make a fifteen minute pod, <laughs> like an hour, two hours, just being like, take like I I said when we were watching the episode, like take my life savings, give me like a little doll oh. or like little like oh. animatronic thing to put on my desk or you know just like something. I I am just so in love with this. I will baby buy Yoda. that. I will buy like a Baby Yoda Furby. 
if they were to come out with one. You know, like in two months, it's going to be everywhere. Yeah, yeah. And if, I'm going to be buying a lot of them. If Disney, if, if Disney Plus launches any indication, if Disney, well, as if we didn't know this, if Disney's good at anything, it's making a ton of money. Uh, <laughs> Tell yeah. you that Baby Yoda merch, like George Lucas would be proud. It was famously, yeah, the Ewoks were very merch related. Mm-hmm. Baby Yoda is going to spawn a lot. It's the eyes of merch. I mean, the big old eyes, eyes, man. man. Uh, but the ears too, and the little baby, and the little baby Yoda hands, the little hands that oh we see God. a lot this episode. We uh, do, we do. Before we get to the hand, so I guess we have a few core concepts that we want to hit. I've never really done an instant reaction show like this, so what do we want to do? I think I think maybe we just go chronologically and then hit the concepts as they arise. I think that's probably a good idea because I think a majority of our listeners are going to be wanting to digest it that way, and. They're only 30-minute episodes, right. which, which, which I think also helps in that regard. So episode opens. Um, we see the Mandalorian and cute little baby Yoda. They are traving back, and he it's, it's a, you know, it's, oh, oh, well, I guess it opens on a new alien. We are keeping track of, of all the new aliens that we've seen. Right. It's kind of like a lizard-gecko hybrid. I mean, and, and you see one of them originally, and then once it scurries out, there's like 20 that come out of the woodwork yeah, or something. Yeah, some sort of desert lizard. And then they kind of disperse, and it becomes like it's too quiet. Right, And right. then he gets jumped by some Trandoshans. Mm-hmm. Now, as our um, resident historian, what can you give us on the Trandoshan race? So the Trandoshans are notorious for being an extremely hard kill. Uh, if you've ever played Knights of the Republic, um, you know that on the Yavin map, uh, after you progress a certain amount through the game, you get tasked with defeating about six of them that come out and surprise attack you. And if you are not armed to the teeth, that's a death knell for you. Like, you are out. Like, wow. if you have not saved your game to that point, I, I pity you, like, very badly because you will get <laughs> like taken two out. hours of progress. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, like, <laughs> like, that. And you see them come out, and, like, they're all grenadiers. They all have repeating rifles. How many attack like, you at once? I think it's like, so like the map, the way it's set up is it's not necessarily like a big map. It's kind of like an expansion um, add on and you're on a ship. Yeah. So there's three, four wings. Uh, there's the wing you enter. There's two doors that way and one door. I'm sorry for people who are listening. There are two doors to your left and your right and one door straight ahead of you. Yeah. So they all come out of those entrances and I believe. So is it three Trandoshans? I think it's three or four. I, my memory could be. Um, I mean, the Mandalorian, he gets attacked. He gets surprised attacked by three Trandoshans. Now that I think about it, it's pretty similar. But I would would chalk that up to being one of the, if not the most difficult fight in Knights of the Old Republic because of... They're just so hard to kill. Yeah. Yeah, And your force powers are generally a little bit less effective on them, and I'm assuming that's because of their their origin, you know? So I, I really have a fear and respect for Trandoshans out of that um, portrayal. Um, and especially even later on in the, the game, you face them again. You, know, you face uh, not, not as, as difficult of a fight, I believe, but you face them again. And also in those comics, um, we get an image of a Trandoshan uh, being kind of a little bit more bumbling and stumbling and fumbling and a little bit more He's like... He's a little bit of comedic relief yeah, in the KOTOR comics. Which is kind of striking to me because I don't really know why they do that. But, but either here's way, the deal. Yeah. Every, race is, every race, every species has a dumbass, right? I right, mean, right. there are dumbass human beings. There are dumb... Oh, boy, uh, are they. Aliens, you know, like whatever. Everybody's going to have your your lower rungs. Um, now, a couple things about the Trandoshan fight. First off... Uh, it was, it was, you know, obviously, it was like everything in the show, high production value, very well filmed. Uh, they didn't bring blasters, which maybe that's not their weapon of choice, but but here's the deal. So so 
we see they very clearly show that the Trandoshans have a fob. So I take that to mean that they're after Baby Yoda. Um, I also, does that mean that they're part of the guild? That's a very good question. And is maybe that a reason why they're not using blasters? Are they trying to take out the Mandalorian in a non-lethal way? He's obviously already potentially crossed a line with the guild as he killed IG-11. So I just, I... And, and you know what? Maybe there is no great story explanation because behind why they don't have blasters. Um, but it just put me down a path where now I'm wondering if it was some guilt thing. Here's my, my thought. Uh, my thought on that scenario is that they don't know that he's killed IG-11 yet. That's they, true. They just know that they're after this bounty. And maybe they rolled up to the spot and they saw that he was with him. And they're like, okay, we're not going to try to kill him. Let's just try See, and defeat him. that's what I'm kind of thinking too. Yeah, like yeah. They, they don't know that he's killed a guild member and now is technically kind of like... Exactly. On the bad side of the guild, and 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 that's why, and and then so that's to bring it up to say because at the end of this fight, um, he kills another guild member, I suppose, right? If they uh, are from the guild, if if that was not killed, I don't know where. Oh no, he's he is. Dead. Oh yeah, <laughs> I'm saying it's just contingent on whether or not the Trandoshans are actually in the guild. And now my intuition would tell me that they are because me too. Uh, in Kotor they are bounty hunters, and it's the exact same type of fob that yes. he had to Did, track like, the baby, like identical, yeah. Um, so the baby remains a, a hot target. Um, something else that shows up in this fight and shows up in a later fight is that his armor gets damaged. Yes, it does. And I think um, it puts me on the train of thought uh, that the rest of his armor is not um, Beskar. Yeah. Because we- Which is a key question that we had last week. I know me and you watched the episode multiple times. I could never come to a satisfactory conclusion, really, but now I feel very confident saying it's not best. Girl. Yeah, I, I I agree with you on that. I think you're right um, because we we see like you made this point while we were watching the episodes that his breastplate has to be repaired twice. Yeah, and his shoulder plate, which is we know is best car, like that's confirmed, is not not even a completely scratch, fine. Really. Yeah, so like I, I I can't see Beskar holding up that well in one instance and that poorly in another. You mean I, I know that I and know they the, made it so it's it's almost like sometimes filmmakers hit you over the head with things, right? right. So there's that early scene where he's repairing the armor, and mm-hmm. so that's like very focused on it. Um, there's also a wonderful Baby Yoda moment there, yep. and then later when he gets, we'll just call him Space Rhino, right. I guess. When he gets ran by that Space Rhino, they have his chest looking really aesthetically displeasing. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's mangled. It's hanging off at an odd angle. It seems like it would really get in your way Mm -hmm. when you're trying to fight. If that's Beskar Steel, Beskar Steel is garbage. Exactly. And I I think uh, we've established up up to this point that Beskar is not garbage at all. all. So we we know that we can kind of draw that conclusion. However, the, the way we get to that breastplate repair scene and all that past is that, you know, he's fought the Trandoshan, so he has to repair it. Now he heads off to his ship, and T, we get a sultry little surprise at the ship. Well, um, before before we get to some old friends that we have not seen in a long time. It's been a minute. One thing about the, the breastplate scene uh, is it appears like Baby Yoda is going to heal him. So as he's repairing his breastplate, it's a beautiful shot. It's at night. It's got this great vibe. Uh, but he's like kind of cauterizing some wound. He's, he's cleaning it up. And baby, cute little baby Yoda gets out there and you see his little baby hand and he does that classic Yoda closed eyes pose. And you're like, oh my God, he's going to heal him. And the music is swelling. And then 
the Mandalorian just picks him up by the carpet. <laughs> yeah. like, music stops and he puts him back in the crib. And then sure enough, baby gets out again and he puts him back in the crib again. This time he closed it, which I was a little bit like, oh my God, how could you look at that thing and close the top right. on it? But it's our first taste of what to come. It appears that this Yoda may have uh, force powers, which I think we all assumed. And I think it gets confirmed yes. later in the episode, <laughs> big time. I would say it does. So, okay, so that's all I wanted to mention there. And then uh, once the Mandalorian gets back to his ship, Nick, what does he find? So we have Jawas again back right. in our Star Wars content. You know, we, we, we encounter these people again. They're a little bit different than our Tatooine Jawas. Um, I, this hasn't really been confirmed, I don't believe, but I highly doubt that we're on Tatooine. So this is kind of like a different race of Jawas, I believe. Um and while I'm saying this, wait, you, are Jawas intergalactic? I mean, I, couldn't they exist on different? That's what I'm saying. Can, can you confirm that while I'm yeah. saying what happens in the scene? So in the scene, we get um, uh, the Jawas are coming up, and they're by his ship where he parked it uh, in the last episode, and we see that they've completely like scavenged it, picked it clean. We get an epic scene of him trying to climb up the sand crawler to get his parts back. Uh, just tossing Jawas aside left and right. I mean, that thing is like epic. It's like he's climbing up the side of a yeah. pirate ship, yeah. and people are sticking their heads out, and he's just like, "Yeet!" And then we, <laughs> we get these the, these images of the Jawas, like they're scared a little bit. The guys in the control room going, "Houdini!" Whatever they do, and then and then they get to the top, and then dude, they ain't lacking. They're strapped. They are ready to go. He like he gets to the top, and there's like ten blasters pointed at him. He, I'm assuming they're ion-based uh, because that's generally what's most effective against electronics. Um, yep. So he just gets blasted with a, what I believe is ion. Also, also the, the um, as we learned from Nick Nolte later, the Jawas don't destroy. They only steal. So I don't know if they have some sort of non-lethal code, but the Mandalorian kills a lot of them. He does. And he vaporizes a lot of them. Which I, I we have we have glossed over this. In the Trinocean um, fight. Uh, there was this amazing incendiary round that yeah. the Mandalorian has that it looks like he's a limited supply because he's taking him out of like some kind of uh, ammo pouch Yeah, and you see, way. and he only has like five or yeah, six it looks exactly. like on there. But um, this is just a quick little caveat. Like, I I loved that incendiary round stuff. Like, I, the, the first time we saw it, we were like, whoa! I mean, what? a Trandoshan and that's way bigger than Jawa completely disappears. Vaporized. Just in a little Atomized. sparks that float into the air. And that was amazing. But, back to our point. You're right about them being uh, non-lethal, but he's absolutely like he running. is lethal, and they still later on trade with him. So which it's is like perplexing to well, me. Well, it's 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 just I mean, like, like I think it's like Nick Nolte says they they are just a I mean maybe I would hesitate to call them peaceful, but like they're they're almost like a nomadic like I want to say gypsy, but obviously that carries a lot of negative connotation. I'm not saying that gypsies go around stealing stuff. I'm just saying that this is a Jawa culture not built on fighting. They're built on traveling around, trading, and, you know, some theft along the right. way. Everybody's going to make it in this galaxy. Right. Um, I'm not finding a solid – it seems like maybe the answer are they are on the planets is it never says they're not right. on other planets. So I don't know. Maybe we're on Tatooine. It's just the, the imagery does not. Me. Yeah, it would be very disappointing. I, the imagery doesn't really suggest it. I don't see the multiple suns. We haven't seen any double suns. Um, That's so a great point. I would, I would venture to say with relative certainty that we're not on Tatooine. But <laughs> look, man, a Jawa, a hundred thousand, whatever, hides out on a ship, goes somewhere. Like, yeah, they, they, they could be all over the place. Now, um, one thing I loved from the Jawas uh, as I hit my computer was 
the new Sandcrawler, uh, you know, it's a lot like the old one, right. but it that now has a sense of detail, and I love the old miniatures. I really do. I love miniatures in general. Uh, but this new one that we see, there's a lot more detail. Yes. It looks a lot more scavenge, which is great. You can see, like, a lot of... Uh, yeah, it reminds me of, like, the orcs in Warhammer Fantasy. Like, a lot of iron plates just kind of bolted on yeah. at almost odd angles, and they've got these, like pirate ship like uh little <laughs> portholes to pop out of and throw things down at him and then you also though get in a side uh, you, you get a uh perspective kind of the size and power of this thing like these treads this is huge it's got weight to it it's powerful they call it a what a, a rolling fortress right. basically and that's what it is and 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 not that it didn't feel like that in the original star wars because it had that look you really felt that with a more intimate look at it thanks to uh well the mandalorian climbing the side of it like you yeah, said it's, it's incredible and i i you you notice the scale i think best whenever um he's getting up from having that um that ion blast to him and you see the treads yeah and you see just the width and you're like my goodness it's like, like a castle it's yeah. like it's like a castle on wheels and um so he gets he gets thrown off uh, great effects there. Just, just like he threw that Jawa off earlier, he's knocked out. And then when he wakes up, um, Baby Yoda staring at him. Right, Baby yeah. Yoda standing right by him. Right, kind of worried about him. Mm. It seems like there's already a bit of a relationship forming between right. the two. Yes, yeah, I see that scene as being uh, another one to help us establish the relationship in between the two. Um, kind of giving us a little bit of foreshadowing as to what his behavior is going to be with Baby Yoda as the series progresses. For um, some reason, Baby Yoda really cares about the Mandalorian, which which is interesting to me because like, we haven't necessarily had a scene where the Mandalorian's been especially kind. Now, no, we've seen yeah. him protect Baby Yoda, but like I guess maybe Yoda doesn't know this, but like w- we know that his motivations are potentially... Not really about protecting him, but more about protecting the reward, the great reward, the Beskar steel. Remember, he will get more Beskar if he delivers Yoda alive. And nothing is more important to him than Beskar. So I guess maybe maybe even that's why he's protecting Yoda, but Yoda just thinks that he's keeping him safe. And so he's already really starting to like the Mandalorian. Right, and I think that uh, we, are, we are yet to see whether or not that is going to be reciprocated, but I believe based on some of the attitudes that he has and what happens later in the episode that he will. Now, next we see him go back to Nick Nolte's character. Well, before he goes to the ship. Yes, 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 my bad. He goes into the ship, tries to fire it up. All his weapons are gone. Like Like that badass weapon closet. That weapon closet was incredible. It was so good. He had something for everything. And, I mean, not you know, he probably had some more vaporizing bullets in there. Yeah. And, and then we see him, and I'm not really sure why he would go into the spaceship that's missing, like, side paneling and exposed and try to <laughs> try to fly it. Like, I don't know if you'd get too far out of the atmosphere with that one. Unless- he just wanted to see if the engine would turn over. Yeah, I guess. He wanted it- to see the extent of the damage. Because, you know, if it's, if the engine's starting, we can, we can slap some steel slap back some on, on the there. top yeah, of that yeah. thing. But, no, it is stripped to the bone. It's Classic it's Jawa. It's ba- oh, yeah. Dude, they, they picked that thing apart. So... We get to see him go back um, to the guy who has helped him in the past. Now, uh, who we're just going to call Nick Nolte because let me let me look up. Has it, I wonder if a name has been confirmed for him um, again. Though I know I said this last episode, but I love how he looks. Uh, 
it kind of looks like Nick Nolte in the face, funnily enough, which is which is like anytime you do a, an animated character, whether it is practical, like an animatronic like this mask is, or it's 3D, it obviously works better when you get a little bit of the actor in there. But, looked, um, his name is Queel. Queel. K-U-I-I-L, and his his uh, species is Ugnaught. Okay, shout out to Queel the Ugnaught. Yep. Excuse me, we'll no longer call you Nick Nolte, Queel. I apologize to Nick Nolte. Um... But Queel is great, and 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 again, I just I love the fact that it's a mask and not a CG face, and I love that the mouth is clearly controlled by a puppeteer. That, that was a great move, and animatronics, and it looks fantastic. And he returns to Nolte, and um, what does what does Nolte tell him? He tells him basically like, you know, I thought you were dead. Like yeah. he, he the first the first things that he says he doesn't even look at him he just hears him approaching he's like I thought I thought you died, and then basically he's like yeah I've got this situation he explains the problem with him and he's like well we're just gonna have to go trade with him and he's like no like like I need my parts back and he's like yeah we're gonna trade yeah so then we get taken to the sand crawler where uh Quill basically Quill has spoken yeah exactly he he uh tags him along in this little uh, hoopty little trailer situation. And uh, the Mandalorian is kind of funny. They roll up that's, to the camp. That's a perfect way to explain it. It is a hoopty floating trailer situation. <laughs> dra- dra- uh, drawn by what? A blurg. A blurg. Shout out to the blurgs. They're the goats, but they're blurgs. They're not they are goats. kind of goat-like. I'm a little wife. Yeah. Anyway, continue. So basically, um, they roll up to the camp, and uh, the Mandalorian pretty much just has his, his piece out, and he's just like kind of surveying the area, and he's like, Quill's like, hey, man, you need to put that up. Like, Which, I mean, look, it, it, it makes sense in a normal culture to be on edge about trading with the people when you sniped out, I think it was four. Like, he definitely, he, he sniped three or four. And then he threw two more off the he side of the sand crawler. He threw two more off the top. He, he, he hit others. He, like, kicked others in the face. I'm <laughs> still like, yeah, man, he killed. And, and, and obviously the Jawas have a very tight sense of community. I they mean, do. they all yes. live in that fortress together. They all work in tandem perfectly. He had about 30 blasters pointed at him or those, those, those ion blasters when he got, when he got over the top. So they have a sense of community, but the Jawas also very obviously have a code. And, and as Quill tells the Mandalorian, it is to, you know, yeah, they'll steal and they'll do all this stuff, but they will not destroy. And that's how then. And the Mandalorian probably doesn't fully believe this or know this at the time, but you know that's how he's able to put down his weapons. They're able to put aside their anger, and they are able to eventually uh, start to deal with one another. Now, you may remember I was not as trusting of that idea whenever we were watching initially. I was like, "Hey, like I wouldn't let that out of your sight if I were you." Like they just yeah. like totally tore apart your ship. Like you're gonna leave your one weapon just like sitting there out of it, your it, eye. It's view. gonna. I, I thought it was gonna end up like. Uh, Oh, what's the movie with uh, the diamond movie with Brad Pitt? Why am I blanking right now? Periwinkle Blue. He's a uh, oh man, am I going after gypsies again? He's he's a he's a Irish traveler in 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 the UK, and like the guy drives up in a car that then Pitt later tries to basically sell back to him. So yeah, I thought maybe the Mandalorian would drop his gun and the Jawas wanted to destroy it, but they would steal it, and all of a sudden he's like having to trade for his gun as well. Right. But but to the Jawas' credit. Maybe they have a code about when they steal. Uh, they did not. They did not do that. Yeah, and I was I was actually pretty surprised. Honestly, I was not expecting that much of a wholesome response. Um, and I mean, that's about as noble as you can get for you know someone that just murdered part of your tribe, and like you you have the power to basically take away their ability to do that, and they don't. So like, I think that that and uh, 
what Quill ends up saying to the Mandalorian before he leaves really gives you an insight as to how these people live on the planet. So my main takeaway, just because of what we've talked about on this show, from when the Mandalorian and the job was sit down, and, they, oh, and and there is actually a lot of humor in that scene that we should mention. Uh, Quill speaks great Jawa. He does. Um, the Mandalorian does not, <laughs> and the Jawas start to play him for him. They're like, like roasting him, bro. Terrible like, dude. All ganging up on him, man. It's like, oh no. Yeah, uh, which the Mandalorian is 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 not too happy with being made fun of. But then they start to trade, and the initial thing that the Jawa wants is the Beskar steel. To immediately what they want. What what does Quill say at that point? He says, um, "He's a Mandalorian. He can't trade that. Like, yeah, that, that's, that's his religion. Yeah, that like he literally says that's his religion, right? And Quill obviously kind of strikes us as a bit of a wise man character. Believe, so believe the Mandalorian says that he can't put his weapon down because it's his religion, and then Quill just says he can't. He's a Mandalorian. He can't give up. Okay, okay, yes, okay. That's what it is. Okay, so the Mandalorian himself." Tells us that his weapon is his religion. Which I thought was a very powerful line. I loved hearing that. I mean, anytime we get a reference to that that mentality of Mandalorians to where they're, you just know that they're vicious and know that... Not really vicious, but that they're doing what their life is called to do, which is combat. Like, yes. hearing that line to me was especially gratifying. I enjoyed hearing it. And it reminds me of any real-life great warrior culture. Like, like I said, like the Vikings, man. I mean, Vikings... How you got to heaven was dying in battle. Right. Imagine the things. We know what human beings will do for their religion. Imagine things you would do. So the Mandalorian is just living his truth, so to speak, when he's uh, fighting and killing. And, and so we get a little insight into that Mandalorian culture that I know me and you want to know so much more about. Because everything in this show is establishing Mandalorians as we know them. Which, by the way, apparently the cartoon Rebels... Has a lot more Mandalore. Yes, this was some air that I wanted thought. to clear once you brought it up with me. Um, that I kind of, in episode zero and one, have given kind of a KOTOR influence background of Mandalorians. Um, because that's what I've known. I've played yep. hundreds and hundreds of hours of KOTOR and um, I'm very passionate about the, the background they set up in those games. But we have to toss some credit over to the Rebel series because it is canonical and it is. And you've seen correct. Clone Wars. Clone Wars has great Mandalorian right. stuff. You got Satine, right. who who you know gets murdered, and 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 Clone Wars is where I got introduced actually to a lot of the Mandalorian stuff. And, and that lines up with a lot of how you explain Kotor, like what we've seen out of Mandalorian, Clo- Mandalorian and Clone Wars. And then it's interesting because you gave me those Kotor comics, and Roland is a kind of uh, rogue Mandalorian, if you will. Right. He's out there living for his own kind of ideals, his own quest. Um, and then in Rebels, that's a lot how Sabine Wren is, mm-hmm. where um, I think her name's Sabine on the top of my head. But, but she is a rogue Mandalorian. And I watched first two seasons, and my buddy was telling me that three and four are a lot about her going back to Mandalore. Okay. And so we have new Mandalore canon that we will dive into. So we will catch up on Rebels. But, um, but, but, but back to my point, what the great part about this show on Disney Plus is, along with that, every bit and little tidbit we get is official. Like, like this right. is, we know for a fact, this is explaining the Mandalorian culture as it will exist in the Star Wars universe going forward. And I kind of, I liken that to, uh, it's kind of a funny comparison, I liken it to the feeling I was getting in Tuscaloosa whenever LSU would put up another touchdown, and oh, I'd be yeah. like, it's real. It's yes. happening. Yes. Like, like, it's not just something we're speculating on. It's not just something that we think could happen. Felt too good to be true. It, exactly. Like, I, I every touchdown that we would get, I would just like, my my buddy uh, Christian Petrie, who the gumbo guy, 
Yes. Um, he was playing bass drum behind me, and I, we just get a touchdown. I turn around, just hug him so hard, and like fall back into him. I'm like, bro, like it's happening. It's real. <laughs> Whenever we hear the Mandalorian saying, "Like war is my religion," like it's real. Yeah. Like, and and I understand that's that's kind of a. It, a culture that you love and respect because of your KOTOR background. Exactly. And and to know that it's becoming the the actual narrative, it it it, it puts in my mind like, hey, we've been speculating about what it's going to be for a long time. Yeah. I know I, since even the KOTOR things have been finished, I've been speculating about it. We were talking about Bama for two weeks. What could happen? What what could be the storylines? <laughs> Who was going to score what? Is it going to be over or under 63? You know, like... It's real. And it happened. Like, like I think that's the most direct comparison that I can make to the way I felt about that. And it's and it's and it's incredibly uh, validating, and and it brings you just happiness. As a sports nerd and a Star Wars nerd, it just brings me kind of intersect. You know what I mean? Yes, it just brings me happiness. Um, Short to say, this has been the best two weeks of my life. <laughs> New I mean, Star Wars content and LG And Bear. I have Jedi Fallen Order downloaded for when I get home later oh so I can gosh. play the new Star Wars game. I mean, what a Friday. Um, now, so he's trading with the Jawas. No weapons off the table. Armor's off the table. Baby crib or baby is off the table. They point to Baby Yoda. Mandalorian's like, nah, son. Um, and then Suga. 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 They, they, they want the egg, uh, which we don't know anything about it. We just know they want the egg. Yeah, I want to I get the exact line that, that they say. Go ahead. And so from there, they walk over, or I guess the Mandalorian, I guess, you know, they have a conversation. They explain, you got to go get this egg for us. He travels, and you see almost like a, um, I got a little bit of Sandcrawler vibes, but it was more of a cave than a hole in the ground. But you see a massive cave where obviously a huge beast lives. And you see some kind of giant bones. I think they were rib bones. Mm -hmm. And the Mandalorian's in this cave. (laughs) And and, and they have a great flashlight shot that I think enhances the darkness he's dealing with. Where like gives me vibes of um, Star Wars Republic Commando. I don't know if you ever played that. Whenever um, And and you can see this in the trailer. Um, Basically, they're walking into the cave. And one of the commandos turns a light on, and it shines on a single Geonosian. Yeah. And then he pans it around, and it's just like a wall, like covered in him. And then like <laughs> they start like rattling and rustling, and then one looks at him, and they all swarm at him, and like that that scene, like as like a six year old was like, what? Yeah. Like, oh <laughs> my god! And and I got those vibes watching that flashlight, you know, just point because when it's all darkness, it's pointing in a single direction. You're like, what? Well, and a lot of times in film and TV, like darkness is actually well lit, right? It's just mm-hmm. like less lit exactly. than light because they still want you to see some things. But no, you just you're in this dark cave. He has a shitty flashlight too. It's like it's like a little, <laughs> like, I mean, and and and, and technology is always a funny thing in Star Wars, but yeah. like. I mean, I thought my guy could have something more akin to like an LED light or something. It's it's like a little flashlight, but... Bring your boy to Academy. uh, And and so this is all to say that I think that that's why the next shot we see is outside of the cave and the Mandalorian comes flying out of it because he has clearly just been taken unawares and been rammed by this giant hairy, which I liked, like giant hairy muddy rhino space beast what what i really think enhances that scene a lot is that little like two three seconds of time that you have to think when you see the mandalorian get like cannonballed out of this cave and you have like that split second to be like what was that and then this woolly mammoth-esque star wars space rhino comes out and it's like oh my goodness it's got a big ass horn it's like 
a gigantic horn. And so, but at this point, I'm still feeling pretty good about the Mandalorian. Now, his chest armor is already messed up, so we know it's not Beskar. But at this point, I'm still feeling good about him. I'm like, okay, I'm not, I'm not, I ain't sweating it. Um, I believe my analogy for the chest plate was folded like a lawn chair. Yes, that's perfect. And like one of those rickety-ass broken lawn chairs that are then miserable to sit on. They don't work at all. They get up in your way. Um, that's that's what his chest piece was like. And, but, but at this point, I thought, okay, uh, every fight he's been in up to this point, he has completely owned. Even the Jawa fight. Yeah, he ends up getting got in the end, but, you know, he takes down a lot along the way. Um, this woolly mammoth space rhino beats the hell out of him like it's 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 bad i mean like multiple hits you're like oh ah like, like a new oh, a new God. sensation in the star wars universe to have that really because you've seen you know the cartoon violence and you know the prequels where it's yeah. like oh nice little duel and oh he got kicked in the chest and he's like flying away on it no this yeah. is like impact rant, like i've never seen i was thinking this while the scene was going on i've never seen star wars embrace this level of like brutality in the violence not in terms of blood and gore but in terms of the pure impact yes well and that's also because on the prequel specifically i mean you're talking about movies that are full of like hot knife through butter droid kills yeah where it's just there is no resistance um and you never really see fist fights the scene that comes to mind with that that you just said was the um Episode three, when R two D two's in the hangar, yeah. and the droids approach him, and he just is like totally owning them with almost zero effort, <laughs> like with the oil sheen that he lights on fire. It's like, it's like, are you gonna, are you gonna shoot him? Like, 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 are you gonna do anything? No like, way, dude. R two, he's just sneaky. It's like a little dog. You want to shoot a dog? Except then that dog lights you on fire. Ah, uh, no. So you, that that's a really great point, man. Because I'm 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 racking my brain trying to think about other times. I mean, maybe Han has a couple punches or no that's indiana jones i mean i i'm kind of drawn blank the only thing i can think of is attack of the clones when they are battling the beasts in the arena either way though i think more than anything the point i was trying to make with that is it may be the sound effects helping it as well but like all the violence in star wars i've seen so far is kind of like if you hear the sound of my hand, yeah, yeah, yeah and, no, and this, it lacks, it lacks umph, it lacks impact. And this one felt like, yeah, like it was like when you when you when you see the horn go into his breastplate, it's like, it's like that's very interesting. It. That's a very um, musician way to describe that. Like like how you just mm-hmm. explained it with the soft got the hard got the chest pump. Yeah, I mean, I I agree. I just never would have thought to explain it that way uh, because because you, you're right. There's just a, there there is an impact there. There's a there's a weight to it. Special effects are hard to achieve weight. Yes, it's actually one thing that I think Guillermo del Toro did really well in uh, the original Pacific Rim. It would have been real easy for the kaiju and the big guys feel very floaty, like they do in a lot of those movies. But he did a good job of avoiding that, and this does as well. I mean, like you said, when specifically the one when the space rhino Mandalorian is lying flat on his back, he's covered in mud, his gun is jammed. He's God, what the a visual out of him, yeah, of, of his yeah. of his armor coated in the mud, man. Like I. Completely feed, and I was just thinking, like, man, that mask has got to be so annoying in the mud because oh, yeah. you know it streaks, and then it's like, and then I'm like, well, maybe he has some special technology that's like non-streak. Either way, there's one terrible. There's an actually Republic Commando reference again. Whenever you like are up close to a Geonosian and kill him, and they splatter their guts all over their face, there's like this like line that runs across it that like oh, auto so, cleans it. Yeah. Oh, so they do. Yes. I mean, oh, I don't know yeah. if Republic Commando is canon, no, but we're like, counting it. okay, all right, yeah, we're good. We're good. <laughs> Absolutely, don't, don't, don't Google it. We're good. No, we're but, counting uh, it. But there's this one, one shot in particular that I wanted to bring up when you see the direct 
air aerial down view of his mask. Yeah. And it almost looks like he's camouflaged in mud. Yes. Like yeah. that he is absolutely caked and I don't know, that, that visual makes you and I guess this is a technique that the the directors use in terms of doing eye to eye contact. We all know that's a that's a method to give yeah. you emotional connection yeah. with a character because um, we don't see it very often in movies. But when you do, it's it's obviously in a moment where you want them to level with the emotion. And I felt my heart sink when I yeah. saw the Mandalorian go into that kneel pose and he takes his knife out and just puts it right here. He's putting no, he's putting no effort into trying to fight back. And I think that's kind of I, I mentioned it to you, the death knell. Like yeah. he, he's accepting his fate, but he's trying to die with honor. He holds his knife out. He's like, if he, he, yes, that's a, no. I mean, that's a thousand percent what it is. He has to in order to honor his religion, and the he has to go out fighting. That that split second where you see his head go down, and his head is just angled Shoulders down, slumped, and the the knife's just out, held out poorly. Like at first, I thought he was going to come with some like incredible knife technique, and you're right because it's Star Wars, and we've seen him be. Infallible and unstoppable in fights. You don't see you don't see protagonists in Star Wars being not infallible. Yeah, exactly. You really not not a lot. Even in Luke's darkest moments, he was still you know holding to his strength. Like that time where he's clutching the thing on Bespin. Yeah, and Vader tells him that he's his father. Like he's still like his body language tells you I'm still being aggressive. Ooh, that's a great point. His body language is is fighting back, and his his head is he's turned. Resist, yeah, and he's his actively head is turned resisting. straight to Vader. Yeah, oh, and, he, and he's looking right at him, and he's he's clutching the post, and he's shaking. Whoa. One of the most striking shots in Star Wars history, in my opinion. I just got goosebumps. I've never thought about how tough it would have been to stare at Vader, to make eye contact with Vader in that moment. It gives you an insight into his heart. Like, he... Luke is at the darkest spot in his life. I guarantee you he's never done anything worse than straddling a pole on Bespin. So his hand cut with off. A, yeah, with this, with literally, you lost a limb just now, and you're looking down at an empty vacuum of space. And instead of just like like grimacing and, and turning away, Luke has his chest and his shoulders to the yeah. person who has just delivered the striking blow to him, and. <sighs> Has revealed that he's his father. He knows that his father Damn. has just inflicted this wound on him. Yet the way that he's carrying himself is a true hero. The image in the Mandalorian is just defeat. Yeah, you you, you never. I, and this is just my opinion. You never see heroes going out that way, especially even in Order sixty six. They were fighting back to the last second. I mean, I know I know uh, Ayla Sakura was kind of like taken by surprise, but she was never. Well, like, and my like old boy with the, high, with the high forehead got screwed. He's Keati like, come Mundi. on, boys, yeah. charge, come on. But, dude, Kiati puts up a fight, bro. Like, that's Oh, the... I thought he just turned around and got shot. No, uh, well, this could be my memory uh, betraying me, but I think he kind of turns around, he, sees, he looks at him, and they all train their rifles on him. He turns his lightsaber on and just starts deflecting the bullets, but it's too much for him. I can see end. that. I can definitely um, see that. That's just my memory, but... All that is to say, all those points, all those Star Wars references are to say they're they're bu- they're bucking the trend. Like yeah. they, they're they're giving this guy, they, they're building him up as this you know definition of manliness of of savagery. Yeah, and to show him in that state of vulnerability, not in just the the head down shot, but the shot of him almost giving the death knell, is it, he accepted his fate? He had accepted defeat. It did something to me. Somebody who up to this point in his life is, you know, essentially undefeated and has killed just person upon person. Like, 
a position that he's put others in so many times throughout his life, he now found himself there. And maybe he has before, but either way, he was going to go out with a knife in hand, weapon in hand. It is his religion. It's kind of his last weapon at the time. And and this is right after this thing. I mean, he's laying flat on his back. It takes that horn, full impact, sandwiches him into oh. the ground right oh. before that most brutal shot. And then, um, and then so it's charging him, and it's about to kill him. Why doesn't it kill him, Nick? Our boy. Baby Yoda. Or girl. Depending. Little cute, three-fingered claw reaches out. The Yoda pose is there. His eyes are closed. Ears kind of pinned back. And all of a sudden, this massive woolly mammoth space rhino has not only been stopped in its tracks, it is floating in the air. Baby Yoda is actively holding this thing up, floating in the air. For a long time. An awesome shot. I mean, and, and you get the, the idea. I think what, what this sequence gives you insight into is what Yoda's species, because this is obviously not Yoda, like we've explained, what the species of Yoda, which has never been defined by Star Wars, their force sensitivity and their force inclination is so great that even at a relatively infant stage of life... That's they, a great way to... That is yeah. a, yes. That's a, I was wondering how you were going to say that. I thought you were going to say young age, but he's 50. You're right. I didn't think about that. Yes. A, a, a relatively infant stage of life. When you're comparing it to a thousand-year lifespan, he's extremely yes. young. And the fact that... you know, and I'm guessing they get so old, and this is just my speculation, because of their force sensitivity and their inclination, they are so adept and powerful with the force... That makes it makes so much sense. ...that it takes forever for them to develop that power. Yeah. Because what... Padawans learn. And it can even then extend their life because they're so exactly. in tune with the force and the universe. Have you ever heard the tale of Darth Plagueis the Wise? <laughs> anyway. Um, Let's talk about midichlorians. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> welcome to the Four Midichlorian Podcast. I'm. <laughs> either way. Um, so we see that scene transpire. Baby Yoda shows off his or their or she's or its ability to. Mandalorian uh, does call it an it at one point. Yeah, so. um, and we we just don't know at this point, so it's it's really a toss up. But um, a, yeah, we we find out. I, I think we get out of that scene an idea of what Yoda's species, because we only know Vandar and Yoda, and then there's that other person that you brought up. Like we only know really three ish examples of that species, and Yoda is a freaking like he leads all of the Jedi everywhere. Like he's the head guy. Yeah. And so is Vandar in a way, uh, in Kotor. So you and get- there's another, and there's a female, canonical female that I don't really remember. That's in Clone Wars and in, in the prequels. But there is a canonical female Yoda, uh, whatever race they are, on the Jedi Council at the time. So another confirmation that that's a hyper. That's the only other one we know, and it's another hyper force sensitive being. All of this is to say. His species, we're getting inklings, little morsels of yes, what they are finally. with each episode. And I am very happy to be able to say that. Yeah, um, and, and so so Baby Yoda's in lifting the woolly mammoth rhino, and the Mandalorian's kind of shocked, obviously, right? He's like, whoa, what is going on here, dude? And uh, and then, I don't know if he somehow knows his thing's anatomy or what's going on, but like he takes this. Oh, well, first, I guess we see Yoda hold it for a while. Mandalorian shock. He's slow to act. Yoda's holding, holding. He's straining. He's straining. And then eventually he drops him in. He passes out. Um, but the Mandalorian then kills the woolly mammoth space beast. It's just an incredibly well-placed knife shot. It's right at the jugular, bro. Like It was like spot on. So we got, uh, and it makes me think, like, did he have, 
knowledge about that creature to begin with. I didn't really get that vibe. So we could be talking about someone who is such a, if I wanted to really just like expound upon, you know, how good warriors are, maybe he's fought so many people. He's so good at understanding anatomy that almost through fighting something or through seeing something move, he can kind of get an idea of how its anatomy would work, what would be protective, where maybe its weak spots would be. And maybe that's like a bit too much of like a superpower to just assume that he has. But either way, the knife blow is incredibly effective and it kills the beast. And a little twist at the end just yeah. to make sure. Make like, sure. A level of Another Star Wars level violence. Of violence, right? See, yeah, yes. yeah, yeah and like impact that's not there. You're right. You Nick, right what here. a great point. You and me right here. Mind meld. So Pacific Rim. That's two Pacific Rim episodes in one episode. There we go. So References. Let's kind of jump ahead a little bit. Boy, before we do, I brought—I I forgot one point that we need to sure, point out. Sure, During the fight with the space rhino, the Mandalorian does save Baby Yoda at cost to himself at one point. Because the thing is going after Baby Yoda. And again, this could just be uh, this. And, and maybe at this point in the episode, this is just him trying to protect his investment. But he does push Yoda out of the way, and then retakes the attention of the rhino, and of course then everything happens that we just I said. I think that's that's important to point out. Yeah, I agree. And so maybe that's another situation where Yoda feels saved by him, and so he then returns a favor by saving him from the space rhino. Right. But he's passed out now. And so now continue. We're past the space rhino. Right. So um, can you help me out a little bit here? Yeah, I'm trying to think. Where do we go next? So I, I believe we're getting back to the... Oh yeah, back he, to he, Nick bring, Nolte. He, he bring, bring back to Quill. Bring, excuse me. Uh, they they cut to the scene where um, Quill is standing at the back of the sand crawler. The Jawas are pretty much lost faith. They turn around. The hatch goes up. They're like, all right. Wait, first, he grabs the out. hairy egg. We finally yes, see he does. the egg. Yeah, yeah, we yeah. see the egg that he has afterwards, and it's a great egg design. It's very hairy and muddy, much like like it feels like the egg that would come out of the creature that that that, that the Mandalorian just fought. And then we see. Uh, as you said, a great shot of the Mandalorian walking up to the Sandcrawler, just looking beat to hell, dude. Like 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 a, like a 1930s football player with yeah. like mud all over him, kind of limping. But he's got that egg. He's towed the rock. Got the dub. He made it. He made it. Um, and and you're like, oh my god, dude, that creature was crazy. Like, what are the Jawas gonna do with this egg? Who knows? They're hyped. Like, so God, so God, they're getting freaking pumped. Oh, I love this. And then what do they do with it? It's a keg, bro. <laughs> they bust it open, dude. They throw a kegger at the back of the sand crawler, bro. Come through. They bust. They're like frat boys. Like you said, we were watching it. They are frat boys. They like bust open this 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 egg and just start slurping it up. And the parallels to Suga and Toga from Animal House are absolutely undeniable. I haven't even thought about that. Oh the my fact, god. You see them, they go, Suga, Toga, Toga. Toga. Oh my god, dude. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, and the Mandalorian just kind of like, like, are you kidding me, dude? I did all that? For that? For a kegger? For, yeah, but in the end, I guess the Jawas loved to party because they gave the Mandalorian back a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. They had stolen a lot, and they gave it. I don't know if they gave it all back to him, but they gave it. They gave enough to uh, get the ship functional again. And, and maybe they did with the level that they coveted whatever was in the Suga or the egg. Like I, I don't doubt that they would have given everything back because <laughs> they, they were they were absolutely losing it. They were hyped, dude. So it was like, wait, uh, let me go check in the back, see if I got anything else that we they took. Were, they, were, they, they were hyped up. I just uh, hope he got his freaking weapons cash back. That's all I care about. So exactly, well, that's what I was kind of wondering. And you know what? With what we learned about the Jawas, I don't know that they would have, well, we could sell them. 
So I don't know. Um, so next, though, he goes back to Queel. And it was interesting because at this point in the episode, and this is like always crazy to me. This this maybe speaks to really good writing or just vibing with the writing. But I remember as that scene was starting, we're like, man, like what does Queel get out of all of this? What is why? Why is he doing this? And you said, well, you know, I mean, I think he gets to calm down his valley. Absolutely. And, and, and Queel ends up bringing that up. But then he also touches on something that I found to be really effective where he basically tells the Mandalorian, I'm look because Mandalorian asks him straight up, uh, like, what, what, why are you doing this? And and he, he tells him, you know, for my honor, like, this is my code. You are my guest and I have to help you. And, and what that reminds me of is uh, reading Lone Survivor back in the day about a Marine who's entire troop got killed in Afghanistan and he he's the only one that escapes and he makes it to this village and he learns about this thing called the Pushtawani code and despite the fact that at this point Americans are incredibly value and the Taliban showing up to this village threatening them threatening to kill everybody threatening to burn it down if they don't hand over the American the village does not hand him over and, and it's not because they have any like loyalty to america or anything no but they have a loyalty to their code and it's push tawani code and it says that they have to protect him uh and, and so this was kind of like that this this queel individual is obviously a man who lives by a code and, and, and we could have we, we could probably could have guessed that already but um it's and, and he has another line that I really appreciate where basically I think the Mandalorian says like, Hey, you know, you should come work with me. You could be great. Cause he helps him repair that ship very quickly, right. which you didn't mention. He's very skilled, a very skilled, uh, engineer, obviously. He kind of makes it, uh, a comparison, uh, to Marn Hiergriff and uh, Zane yes. in the KOTOR yes. comics. He kind of hints that he wants that partnership going forward. And then, yes. And then, and then, and then Quill says, no, man, look, I've, I've worked a very long time, basically, so that I'll never, so that I can never be like held under another man or be another man's servant. I can't remember the exact line, but just a man who he's done with his life of servitude. Yes, done with his life of servitude. He is his own man. He has a little land, and he lives his life by his code and has what he sees as right. And, and so, Queel, man, what a great character! And I think who's ever in that suit playing Queel does a great job. Phenomenal. Yeah. The puppeteers do a great job, and Nick Nolte does a great job. And I don't know what the exact breakdown is or how they did it, but um, I, I think all of that works in tandem to create a very memorable character for me. I think it um, is encroaching on the territory of my mind. I mean, you know, given given this has been a week since we've known this character, it's encroaching on that territory of I couldn't think of another character that could do Queel like Nick Nolte like if you put another guy in Queel's outfit and gave him another voice like it's like that's not Queel it certainly wouldn't feel right he's got a gravelly inflection in some of his words where it's like near the end it's like no one could pull that off except him he uh great Nick Nolte plug um the ballad of Nui Scruggs on Netflix it's like six shorts and one of them Nick Nolte's an old prospector and he's going to hunt gold, and oh, you want to talk about a gravelly voice? Like, oh, it's 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 as noltiest. It is so pleasing to the ear, and, and so is this. And and I have spoken 
Uh, that Buster Scruggs? Shout out to Quill. But yeah, what did I say? Newie yeah. Scruggs? Yeah. I always say that's a radio host, Buster yeah. Scruggs. I love that um, movie. Yeah, it's it's great. It's great. The shorts are excellent. I think the Coen brothers did it, but whatever. That that Nolte one is my favorite out of yeah. all the shorts. Uh, so I don't know if we'll see Quill again. I didn't get the feeling that we will. Given the scale, I think the series is aiming to 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 touch on the ambition that I feel is left in this series. Um, I doubt it, but again, I don't want to close my mind off to anything because I do enjoy that character a lot. It's not one of those, uh, in my opinion, Jar Jar situations where you're like, okay, he's gone. Yeah, no, and and and, and to be fair, um, Queel has could could make a lot of sense to come back in some. Well, that you could always write if you write it well, but like I, the only thing that would keep me is. Why would he leave that planet? Like, maybe somebody would force him out, Trailer Mandalorian. I guess you could do that. Whatever. I'd be down with him coming back, but if it's the last time we see him, he left a real impact on me in these two episodes. I don't see where his performance could have been better, honestly. Yeah. Out of these two episodes. Like, I really, I really. And he rides Blurgs. And he raises Blurgs. Blurgs are amazing. Like a beast. Um, So, because we got to wrap up, because we got to actually go host an actual radio show now. (laughs) Um, But coming up next. What I see, what I can't wait for, more information on where the Empire's at, which we didn't get to today, but we'll get to in the next episode. I, I do want to touch on a point that I glossed over last episode because I just think I, I didn't hear you at the time when you were talking about part of the attraction to something like the First Order would be the economic instability of the Empire at the time. And, and I'm sure that will actually be kind of brought back that way as as this thing develops. But one thing I, that I'm just very intrigued to see is that now that Baby Yoda has saved the Mandalorian's life. He's obviously worried about him. The whole time Yoda's asleep, he's a little worried about him. He finally wakes up. Keeps looking back at him. Keeps looking back at him. Um, and it feels like it's about more than protecting his investment now. And so I think you are going to see the Mandalorian and Baby Yoda against the world. Because you're going to have the original people who had Baby Yoda coming after him. You're going to have Werner Herzog and his people coming after him. The guild's probably going to start coming after the Mandalorian as well. This is about to be one of the most hunted men in the galaxy. It is shaping up to be exactly that. Oh, let's go. All right, Nick, take us out. Well, guys, uh, it's been an honor for y'all to join us on the Four Mandalore podcast. We really are enjoying the heck out of doing this for y'all. Yeah. Um, and we really cannot wait for this next episode. Uh, it's going to be until uh, next Friday when we can get back to these updates. I know, it's going to feel um, so long. Which I am not, I'm not specifically excited about, but I'm going to keep these theories rolling around in my head. The Four Mandalore Podcast, I am Nick Ash, and he is T-Bob Bear. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you again next week. For Mandalore!